the portion of scripture that is in your notes, in the top of your notes, from 1 Corinthians 11, 23 to 25. I want to I read the entire portion uh, for you before we come back to that portion specifically this morning. Paul writes to the Corinthian believers. The Corinthians were in much need of correction. When you contrast the writings of Paul to the Corinthian church, you find that um, he has to devote chapters to correcting their behavior and their thinking process. Um, the book of Corinthians, first and second, is a correctional, filled with corrections. And um, he had to say things multiple times in multiple ways for them to get it because they were, uh, they were like two-year-olds that you have to keep telling and sharing with and helping and trying to encourage. You contrast that with some of the other passages in the Bible where Paul writes and he makes one little simple statement and that's it. There's no, there's no paragraph that even describes anything with it. He just says, in everything give thanks. Amen. <laughs> you know, and sometimes I think we're Corinthians and sometimes I think we're Ephesians and sometimes I think we're Philippians. I think we're, I think we're constantly in a shifting, shifting place in life, so sometimes we need a couple chapters. And then there's times when we don't. But we always need to be reminded of things. And this morning, Paul writes to the Corinthians, he says, I passed on to you what I received from the Lord. On the light, the Lord Jesus was handed over to his enemies. He took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, This is my body. It is given for you. Every time you eat it, do it in memory of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup. He said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Every time you drink it, do it in memory of me. You eat the bread and drink the cup. When you do this, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes. Eat the bread and drink the cup of the Lord in the right way. Don't do it in a way that isn't worthy of him. If you do, you'll be guilty. You'll be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. Everyone should take a careful look at themselves before they eat the bread and drink from the cup. Whoever eats and drinks must recognize the body of Christ. If they don't, judgment will come upon them. That is why many of you are weak and sick. That is why a number of you have died. We should think more carefully about what we are doing. Then we would not be found guilty for this. When the Lord judges us in this way, he corrects us. Then in the end, we will not be judged along with the rest of the world. This is the NIV reader's version. And it fascinates me when I consider the things that Paul tells the Corinthians. Fascinates me because there were multiple aspects to the way in which they were partaking of communion. Communion was... Communion was really incorporated into what they had, which were like love feasts. They would 
gather together for these these massive feasts they they would often uh, not always but they would often have not just uh, a meal but they would also have communion celebration and they would also have a foot washing they had all these things that they would do together but in in the case here where Paul is talking about communion he's talking about flippantly or without without a great deal of thought partaking of the elements of the bread and the cup that's the real crux of what he's trying to communicate to them and uh, as i said i think last week as we started this when we looked at how this whole thing came into being and jesus celebrating his passover meal with his disciples when you think about communion they would come together and they'd have people that were eating, people that were drinking, people that were drunk, people that were focused on themselves. They were, they were really not interested in, in what the elements were and they were also not interested in the other people that were involved in the process with them in the body. So they had these groups. They had, they had this attitude that it was, it was for them and they were involved in the process, but the elements themselves lost their significance. They partook of them without really knowing or recognizing what they were doing. And even if they knew what they were doing, this goes back to the two-year-old, even if they knew what they were doing, they didn't know what they were doing. You know this if you've had children. Children know what they're doing, but they don't really know what they're doing sometimes. That's the Corinthians, and that's what it comes down to when it comes to communion. They were going through the motions. kind of reminds me of, of uh, my goodness, years and years, years ago when I was very young, there were occasions when on a Sunday evening I would go with my father to, to a service, and uh, I would sleep part of the time on his lap, and part of the time I would pretend I was paying attention when I didn't know what I was doing. and Anyway, partaking and going through the motions. Or when I was, uh, when I was first in school, at community school, they had a chapel service on a regular basis and part of chapel during the community, community, community school day included occasionally having communion. And I remember vividly to this very day, I remember... That when communion was being passed on that particular day, I don't remember how old I was, but I just remember vividly sitting there feeling really hungry. (laughs) And I thought to myself, actually, that I was going to get something out of this bread and this cup. I really thought it was going to do a little bit of filling for me. So I remember partaking of it, knowing that it was communion, knowing what it meant. But I remember partaking of it with and with a thought in mind that you know this this might just kind of tide me over. (laughs) Such honesty may be a little bit uh, unnerving for you. Jesus says, "When you partake of the bread and the cup, He says, do this in remembrance of Me." In the passage that's before you. There in 1 Corinthians 11, 23, 25, he says, every time you eat it, 
this bread. Every time you eat it, do it in memory of me. And with regard to the cup, every time you drink it, do it in memory of me. In memory of me. Now before we get into the, the very brief uh, outline this morning that's before you, I, I want to just tell you a couple of things that are almost like a no-brainer, but they're really important, they're significant. Anyone who has the ability to personally remember Jesus, anyone who can truly personally remember Jesus, has experienced four things in their life, in their relationship with Jesus. They know, they know that everyone who has personally met Jesus and has a relationship with Jesus has a remembrance of a unique encounter. A unique encounter. No encounter is the same. The grace of God is the same. The grace of God, the goodness of God is the same. But every encounter is as numerous as every individual. It is unique. It is a unique encounter. Secondly, every person who remembers Jesus and knows Jesus personally has a special story to tell. And no story is the same. A special story. So right there, if, you, or if you're having trouble remembering that unique encounter or that special story, you might want to ask yourself if you have, in fact, a relationship with Jesus. The third thing. Everyone who has a relationship with Jesus remembers that they have had a defining moment have had a defining moment. They might not be able to tell you how old they were. They may not be able to tell you some of the various aspects to it. But they had a defining moment. A defining moment. And then finally, this fourth thing is also important. That is that everyone who has a relationship with Jesus and who remembers Jesus knows that Jesus, their memory of Jesus is that he brought about a life-changing transformation in them. So those four things are critical. A unique encounter, a special story, a defining moment, and life-changing transformation. Now, you notice I didn't say complete transformation. Because we're all in process. Last time I checked, we haven't arrived yet. We're still in process. God is not finished with us yet. And everybody said, hallelujah. <laughs> He's still working on us. But you know, really, this relational thing, having a relationship with Jesus, remembering Jesus, is, is similar to remembering someone really special in your life. Someone really special. I go to my relationship with Ruth and I can say unequivocally this morning that my relationship with Ruth was a unique encounter. We have a very special story. 
There was definitely a defining moment <laughs> in the relationship. And it was life-changing. It really was. So what we're talking about is not something unusual, but it is this. It is a relationship. It is a relationship. If you cannot remember any of these four things, if you cannot identify any of these four things, if you're unable to say clearly, I had a unique encounter and this is what it was. If you cannot say, I have a special story and this is what it is. If you cannot say, I have a defining moment. And if he hasn't changed your life, you met somebody. But I'm not sure it was Jesus. Because everybody that meets Jesus and everyone that comes to terms with who he is and responds to who he is can say these four things. Now, there are a lot of people who know about Jesus. And so let's talk about these three things this morning. Jesus would say to you this morning, before you partake of communion, he would say, number one, remember when you first learned of me. Remember when you first learned of me. You know, there are so many examples in the Bible of when people first learned about Jesus. Jesus' half-brothers, sisters, they learned about Jesus when they were growing up with him. They didn't like him very much. You wouldn't either. I mean, can you imagine going to your mom and saying, Mom, Jesus did this and that and the other, and you're going, you're listening to your mom saying, Come on, Jesus, he's perfect. Come on, kids. You wouldn't like him either. Because he never did anything wrong. That was perfect. Or how about, how about Paul? Remember when Paul first became acquainted with Jesus? Paul was, was probably a member of the Sanhedrin. He was probably a, a member who was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He was probably part of the group that was scheming to get rid of him and kill him and have him murdered. So he became acquainted with Jesus. When did you first, first learn of Jesus? I learned of Jesus when I was, when I was a kid at home. Timothy learned about Jesus when he was just a kid at home. We all have come into contact with Jesus in various places and forms, but it did not necessarily result in a transformation of life. In other words, we learned about him, we knew about him, we found out some things about him, maybe we even studied about him. Some people maybe even have spent their whole lives learning and learning and learning, but never coming to the knowledge of truth. There are some people, and some of the Corinthians I think as well, that were involved in learning and learning and learning, but they didn't really understand the implication of what they were doing when it came to communion. Always learning. You first meet Jesus. What about the Ethiopian eunuch? When did he first meet Jesus? When did he first learn about Jesus? The Ethiopian eunuch went to the Passover in Jerusalem. And I think there he learned about Jesus. Probably saw him on the cross, probably asked questions. 
The Ethiopian eunuch stayed for the entire feast and then he stayed for Pentecost and he was there at Pentecost and he was coming back from Pentecost back to his own hometown, his own home country, Ethiopia. And there were some things that happened to him. So he learned about, he learned about Jesus prior to coming to trust in Jesus. When did you first learn about Jesus? By the way, there's no right or wrong answer here because I already told you everybody has a different story. So when did you first learn about Jesus? You know, some, some people who are in Muslim countries, in Muslim homes, they learn about Jesus when they're kids. In the Quran, it talks about Jesus. They learn about Jesus. He's a, he's a good prophet. They learn a lot of things about him. Paul, when he learned about Jesus, do you think Paul's response to learning about Jesus was a positive one? No, the book of Acts tells us that Paul, as a result of learning about Jesus, wanted to destroy anyone who was going to follow Jesus. So he was about destroying anyone who was following the way. Following the way. So when did you first learn about Jesus? Jot that down. Secondly, Jesus would say, remember when you first believed. Remember when you first believed in me. I learned about Jesus. I knew a lot about Jesus. I could tell you the gospel of Jesus. I could tell you how you could become a child of God. And I was not one because I had learned a lot, but I had not yet believed personally. You know, that word believe is used in multiple ways. For example, in the Bible, in John chapter 1, he says that he gives eternal life to all those who believe, even those who believe in his name. And then you flip over to the book of James, and the book of James says that even the devils, the demons, believe and tremble. So there's a mental belief or an assent or a recognition and then there is a belief where there's a submission of one's life. Obviously the, obviously the demons and the devils, they do not entrust themselves to Christ. But they know who he is. So they believe intellectually. They believe intellectually. So the question I'm asking is not, not when did you come to the place where you believed intellectually. That's part of the learning process. My question is, do you remember when you first believed? When you first believed, when you first submitted, when you first surrendered, do you remember the moment when you basically said, I surrender? I surrender. I remember I was in Prescott, Arizona. I was visiting my brother David, whom just days before I had made fun of. With regularity, it was a lot of fun. <laughs> About his Christianity. All the while knowing, as the Spirit of God was convicting me and speaking to my heart about the fact that he was right. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the Son of God. And I kept saying, nah, that's okay. Let's not have, let's not have that conversation. I'm having too much fun making fun of him. 
But on June 20th, 1973, I remember distinctly, I went out for a walk because I, I just reached the point where I knew, I just knew that I needed to surrender my life. I needed to wholeheartedly and completely believe. And I went and sat on a, a rock in an empty lot. Couldn't tell you where it is, but I know it was in Prescott. And as I was sitting there, I remember praying and saying, Lord, I give up. I surrender. I confess that I'm a sinner and I need you. I need you to save me. I give my life to you. It's yours. There was a moment. There was a defining moment in my life at that point, June 20th, 1973, when I first believed for myself. For myself. You see, you can't believe on somebody else's coattails. You can't get into heaven on somebody else's coattails. You have to have a personal defining moment in order to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. You know, when you think about it, the same thing is true humanly, isn't it? But even humanly, we try to do this sometimes. We try to do the same thing humanly. We try to tie ourselves relationally to somebody else because of the significance that the relationship that they're having, we want to have too. And so we tie ourselves to that without really having a personal relationship with that other person. Remember when you first believed in me, Jesus would say this morning. I mentioned the Ethiopian eunuch. He's on his way back to Ethiopia. He's still in the learning process. Acts chapter 8, 26 to 35 says, The angel of the Lord spoke to Philip saying, Get up and, and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. What Isaiah was talking about. You know, pay attention. God will tell you where to go, what to say, all that kind of stuff. Philip's saying, okay, here we go. Philip is leaving great revival. Philip is leaving a situation where there's all kinds of response to the Spirit of God and people are being converted and believing. And God, the Holy Spirit says, Philip, time to go. Most of us would go, what? <laughs> now? God, look, look what's going on. No, I want you to go to the desert. What? The desert? Gaza? Yeah, this is a desert road. So he got up and went, and there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of Ethiopia. That's where Candace got her name, by the way. And this, this, uh, this Ethiopian was in charge of all her treasure, and he had come to Jerusalem to worship, and he was returning and sitting in his chariot and was reading the prophet Isaiah. And then the spirit said to Philip, go up and join this chariot. So Philip ran up and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet. Okay, now first, can you just picture this? The eunuch is in the road of Gaza in the desert, you know, and Philip is, is uh, beamed over, you know, like uh, Starship Enterprise. And all of a sudden he shows up there and he sees, he sees this chariot and He's there and, and the Spirit says, go and connect yourself to the chariot. In other words, get in. And so Philip starts running and he's listening 
as the guy is reading from Isaiah, the book of Isaiah. And Philip jumps in there, and, and uh, all of this is just amazing to me. Anyway, Philip says, do you understand what you're reading? This is a miracle. The Ethiopian eunuch doesn't travel by himself. I mean, he's in charge of all of the queen's goods. He is not unguarded. He's not unprotected. unprotected. He's not on a journey by himself. Philip joins him, you know, somehow... He's there in the chariot with him. He says, do you understand what you're reading? And, and the eunuch responds as though he's known Philip his whole life. Like they're buddies, you know. Come on in, Philip. But they didn't know each other. It's the work of the Spirit. It's kind of like bikers in Turkey. It's the work of the Spirit. And the guy says, well, how could I unless someone guides me? He invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture which he was reading was, he was led as a, slaw- as a sheep to slaughter, and as a lamb before his shears was silent, so he does not open his mouth. In humiliation his judgment was taken away. Who will relate his generation? For his life is removed from the earth. The eunuch answered Philip and said, Please tell me, of whom does the prophet say this, of himself or of someone else? And then Philip opened his mouth and began from the scripture he preached Jesus to him. That was when the eunuch believed. That's when he believed. When did you believe? And if you can't remember a date or a time or a place... like many of us can. That doesn't mean it didn't happen. But you know for sure it happened because it happened to you. And you remember when you believed. I was a kid. I was sitting with my mom or dad or wherever you may have been. Where were you when you believed? And And then this last one. Remember when you first testified of me? Remember when you first gave a testimony for me? And here, I am specifically going to be speaking to you about baptism because that's the first step. Remember when Jesus told his disciples, he said, Matthew 28, go, make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. And I'm with you all all the time. Baptism is the first step that we take after we believe. After we believe, why? Why is baptism something you do after you believe? Because baptism is a declaration that you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. How can you have baptism without having a relationship? A lot of people do. They're going through the motions. They're just getting wet. If you cannot remember, if you cannot remember when you believed, if you don't remember that defining moment, if you don't remember that unique, unique encounter, you have no reason to be baptized. 
It's like a wedding. And unfortunately, there's a lot of people that go through, go through with weddings and get married, and they shouldn't. Because they don't have a relationship with that person. They're not, they're not connected. You know, confession is good for the soul. Before I met Ruth, which was a unique, life-changing experience, multiple defining moments, it was awesome. It still is. She's the best thing, best thing since sliced bread, somebody used to say. (laughs) But before I met Ruth, I was engaged to be married to a a girl named Nova. And... uh, Listen carefully. I was in love with the idea of being in love. I was also alone. At least I felt very much alone. My parents were in Iran. That's a little ways away, 14,000 miles. Didn't talk very much on the phone. I kind of thought, you know, I need somebody. I need to get married. That's, that's, that's the answer. I just need to get married. My brother, David, had met his wife at church and uh, through the youth group ministry and whatnot in Prescott. And uh, and they were married. And I thought, oh, that's the way to go. Just need to find somebody in a youth group somewhere and get married. and, And that's the way this whole thing works. Remember, every story is unique. Every single relationship is special It's not a cookie-cutter situation. But here I was trying to cookie-cut it. I was trying to chop it out. I thought, well, it looks good for him. He's having a great time. He's got a family now. Not just a wife, but he's got other people around him. So that's the way to go. So I, anyway, I found Nova. And she wasn't from Nova Scotia. (laughs) Anyway, I found Nova, and I thought, this is it. So we started to have this relationship. What kind of a relationship was it? It was a relationship based on a concept that was not part of reality. It was based on a a theory, a, a philosophy, a thought, a hope, a dream. But it was not real. It wasn't real. Some of you may understand what I'm talking about. Because of, because of football, I had had some major injury to my right leg and, and uh, playing in college. And anyway, I had to have surgery because it kept giving me trouble. It wasn't fixed properly. And so I remember they took me in for surgery on my knee and I was lying there after surgery. And those were the days when they did not do the small little cuts. You know, they took your knee apart, cut it wide open and all that kind of stuff. So here I am in the hospital, I'm lying there, and, and my first response was, it's got to be the drugs, because I'm lying there, and I hear this voice saying, Bob, you can marry Nova if you want to, and I'm thinking, what is going on? <laughs> the Spirit of God is telling me, you can do this if you want to, Bob, but I'm telling you, it's not the right thing to do. Right and I'm thinking, who's back there? Because I was on some pain meds. 
the Lord said, you know, really, Bob, if you, if you, if you want to and you go through it, you can do this, but you've got to live with it. You've got to live with it. And I thought, well, what's the problem? It's, it's a great story. It's just like David, my brother. It's all working out fine. And the Holy Spirit is saying, is it really? Is it really? I mean, her family has certain persuasions and belief systems. And yes, they're Christians, but they have various commitments. And, and uh, can, you, can you support that? Or the Holy Spirit said to me very clearly, will they support you? Hmm. Well, you know, Lord, I, I've surrendered my life and I believe that you want me to preach and stuff and the, the Holy Spirit interrupted me. Yes. <laughs> and by the way, Bob, what do you believe about this and this and this. There were three things the Holy Spirit reminded me of, and I thought, well, yeah, that, this is what I believe. I was responding, interacting with the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit said, well, you know they don't believe the same. That's ah, no big deal. No big deal. We get married, it'll all be fine. How many times have you heard that? Anyway, I, I don't want to prolong this. I just want to make sure you understand. You understand that unless there's a, an encounter, unless there's a specific story, unless there's a, a unique, unique relationship that you have with Jesus Christ, you're just going through motions. You're just in a fog, maybe a fairy tale. Maybe a fairy tale. When did you testify? When were you baptized? If you can't remember when you were baptized, then I would say it doesn't count. Now, you may have been dedicated as a child. We do that here. But there's a difference. There's a difference. Listen to, once again, the Ethiopian eunuch. It says here they're going along the road. Verse 36 they come to some water and the eunuch says, look, water, water. What prevents me from being baptized? Why would the Ethiopian eunuch even come up with this? Well, in order to understand that, you have to understand that if you were not a Jew, if you were not a Jew during that time and you wanted to become a Jew, there were certain steps that you had to take. And the final step was, in fact, baptism. Baptism was a declaration of your commitment, a declaration that you're in, you're all in. What do you think baptism is today? Baptism is saying, I'm all in. I'm all in. I have had a, I've, I've learned about him, I believe in him, and I am all in. So here's the eunuch, and he's, he's tootling down the road with Philip, and they're going along, and the eunuch says, water, I'm all in. What does he say? What prevents me from being baptized? Philip said, if you believe, with all your heart you may, and he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. 
He ordered the chariot to stop. They both went down into the water. I think that means they got totally wet. (laughs) They went down into the water. The Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip, excuse me, as well as the eunuch, and he baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away, and the eunuch no longer saw him, but went on his way rejoicing. Rejoicing. Remember. Remember. When you learned, remember when you believed. Remember when you were baptized. This morning, as we share communion together, Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. As you partake of the bread this morning, and you partake of the cup this morning, If you can't remember when you kind of started learning, if you can't remember when you believed, if you can't remember the significance of being baptized, then the partaking of communion diminishes it diminishes for you because it becomes part of a process it becomes a religious thing it may even become something that you've always done I challenge you this morning remember him remember him as you partake and also this morning As we sing the songs that we're going to sing, you're invited to come up whenever you're ready to partake or if you're unable to come forward, you can raise your hand and the ushers will will serve you. And this morning, as you you partake, some of you might want to just come and talk to somebody or pray with somebody and say, I've just kind of been going through the motions lately just really need really need to get back to that that relational integrity and fire and so if that's you this morning or if you have other things that you need to have prayer for or minister minister for uh, we invite you to come I'm going to ask if if um, Bahram will come on this side and of course Z will be in the middle and Shelly will be over here and and I'll be here you just During these songs, as you come and partake, and Carol will be over here too, but as as we partake together this morning, if you want to pray with somebody, come and pray. If you want to just uh, share the burdens of your heart, you can do that, and then you can partake of communion. But let's do it individually and corporately, remembering Jesus, remembering him. Let's pray together as the group comes up. Father, it is amazing, truly amazing to think that you have given us an opportunity to have a personal relationship with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. 
that we can have a relationship with the one who created the heavens and the earth. We can have a relationship with the one who has all authority in heaven and in earth. Lord, help us this morning as we come to communion. Help us to remember when we learned. Help us to remember when we believed the defining moment in our lives. Help us to remember when we first testified. Lord, if we haven't done those things, help us this morning to step up and say, I'm ready to do that. I want to do that. I want to believe today. I want to step up and say I'm all in and be baptized on Pentecost, May 19. Let's stand together and sing and worship and